Hi, Kit McCarty here, welcoming you to Now I See, a podcast where people of vision share their eye-opening experiences that helped them shift focus, gain perspective, and see themselves and their world in a whole new way. We invite you to pull up a chair to the conversational table, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy our show. We're hoping our time together will encourage, elevate, and engage you toward your own eye-opening moments. Hello, Rihanna. Welcome to Now I See. Hi, Kit. Thank you so much for having me. Rihanna is a Texas girl born and bred. She's a pediatric registered nurse, a Facebook vlogger, and a dog owner. She's also the author of the brave, shockingly transparent, and powerful book, Faithfully Fervent. Rihanna I See You is full of life, energy, empathy, and someone who is not afraid of doing hard work. How do you see yourself? I see myself as somebody who has overcome a lot of trial in life, but somebody who, by the grace of God, has come out stronger on the other side and with fulfilled passion to share that with other people. Now, that certainly comes through. It's one of the first things I noticed about you when I met you. So who or what helped shape this form of you? Who helped form those values, especially those ones about your strong work ethic and about your um, indomitable spirit? I mean, you're just you're just not a quitter. You just don't give up. Have you always been that way or did you acquire that? I've always been very strong-willed and driven growing up. I think that was just always kind of my personality. I think that's what also led me to be a nurse just because I love helping people. I love staying busy and um, doing hard things. But I truly think that my conviction early on of coming to know Christ back in middle school, high school, really kind of drove that into me as well. I think it probably gave purpose and direction where there might not have been before. So to be able to channel that strong will to something positive has certainly worked well for you. So um, in the book, Faithfully Fervent, you tackle the painful subjects of betrayal, abandonment, being judged and misunderstood. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened to you? So Faithfully Fervent is the journey I was taken on when I was a abandoned by my previous husband. I came home from work one morning to find a letter on my counter that said, I don't want to be married anymore. And it was that day that my entire world fell apart. I can't even begin to express the amount of pain and I I just genuinely felt shattered. It was very difficult for me and I couldn't really comprehend how God would allow something like this to happen. And It was in those moments where I was kind of faced with a decision, are you going to just give up and walk away on your vows or are you going to stand faithful and firm to all the things that you promised? It was really a choice of just because somebody quits on you, are you going to quit on the things that you've committed to? And it obviously initially took a little bit of willpower for me to be like, okay, God, yes, I'm ready to be on this journey. But the reality is it really was the strength of God that carried me through it because it did become an eight month long journey of standing firm alone, fighting for a marriage that didn't end up coming back together, but it ended up being one of the most incredible, empowering, life transforming journeys that I would never take back for anything. That's such an amazing testimony because I imagine anybody who went through what you went through, and we know lots of people that have, have not always had a story of hope and encouragement in the end. Most people have lifelong wounds and permanent scars from experiencing experiences like that. They wonder if there's something wrong with them or if they'll ever be loved and if they can ever love again. They're often mired in guilt and shame and negative thoughts. They become less open, less willing to trust, more cynical and more defensive. I know you wrestled with all of that. And then you did something radical. 
you decided to take that public. And it's not a tell-all book intending to bash your rags. You only told enough of the story to give readers context. You really focused on your part of the story, what you were thinking, what you were feeling, and your journey to wholeness. Why did you feel the need to tell this story? So for me personally, I always had it, my heart's um, biggest intent was to love my husband at the time well. I kept that forefront at the focus, and that is how I was able to, one, go through that journey, just learning what it's like to truly have Christ-like love, but also really instead of pointing fingers, looking within myself, because we're all equally sinners. Like I had done things that disappointed him, that failed, that I still do things that disappoint and fail because I'm human. But I think the greatest healing process that I learned throughout this journey was what it looks like to look within, accept the things that you've done or the way that you are and ask Christ to come in to redeem and heal those things. And so it was really hard because that calls us to lay down shame. First of all, we don't want to acknowledge or verbalize things that we either don't like about ourselves or are scared to talk about because the fear of rejection. And when you're going through rejection, The last thing you want is to have more rejection on top of that. So one of the craziest things I did that my counselor encouraged me to do is just to ask God to allow me to feel the pain that I needed to feel, to open my eyes to things that I needed to heal within myself from past trauma, from just, you know, sinful nature of myself, just what God heal me, like show me what I need to feel and see. And it was really through that because I allowed myself to process and feel. It's like you had to kind of dig into the wound a little harder to clean it out, but then that way it could heal. And so in going through that and recognizing the transformation that God brought out of me, it it really derived such a passion within me to tell other people like, look, you don't have to cover this up. You don't have to be ashamed. You can own whatever you can and move forward because in Jesus name, you are clean and free. I think that's really hard for a lot of people to do because shame takes it to the dark and you want to hide that. You want to bury that. You're ashamed of maybe some things that you might have brought to the equation that resulted in the way it did. And you're also ashamed that you trusted somebody who wasn't trustworthy. And you really have a tendency, and I'm not talking just you personally, I mean, generally people have a tendency to want to bury those things and hide those things. Um, And you said something interesting too about that you wanted to dig a little deeper to really examine yourself and dig that out. I think often people's response is to numb the pain. They don't want to look um, any deeper because looking at that is really hard. Why didn't you do that? What, why, what was in you that said, dig, dig deeper even though it hurts? So for me, I have always been a busybody, a doer, and that was kind of always my coping mechanism throughout my life to push past harder, painful things. In the past, in high school, I was physically, sexually, verbally abused, and I chased after perfectionism and busyness to kind of cover up the pain and keep myself going. Because if I just didn't have time for myself to think, then it's as if it never happened. But the thing is, is it catches up to you. Once you have that time to think, when I was done with school, I was working night shift at the time. As you can imagine, you've got plenty of time to think when you're learning to stay up late at night, it, it caught up with me. And I just started to feel these feelings of inadequacy and just like this emptiness within me. And I, I claimed to be a believer, which I did believe, but 
I will say that until I went through this experience, I won't acknowledge being fully convicted in everything. And so going through that, the very first day, whenever I I saw the letter, I was like up for 48 hours and my mind was racing and I never struggled with depression or anything before. But in that moment, I I wanted to take my life. Like I, I just truly felt the weight of my world crashing in and so much shame. Like I can't live past this. I can't live to tell a story that I was walked out on. Like I was not worthy enough to be chosen, not even a year into marriage. And nobody's going to want me like I'm like secondhand goods after this. It it was horrifying for me. And I remember like looking at these uh, muscle relaxers I had had and just telling myself, God, like I just I don't want to live like this is mortifying. I remember just in that moment, I could feel God's presence. And it just like I get chills still because it's like I, I just felt like he was with me and he was like, you're going to get through this. And it didn't make sense because it, ju- it just didn't. But it was like I had this like peace wash over me that like you've got to fight. You've got to keep going. So it was kind of that factor where I was like, okay, God's in this. And so I went through counseling, you know, through this whole thing. And truly, I have to credit a lot of it to my counselor because she walked me through the process and she said up front, you have to you have to heal within. If you want to heal anything else in your life, you've got to start with you. And it also takes the weight off pointing blame. I could have hated him. I could have been angry. And there were moments I was angry as any human would feel because it's just the shock of everything. But the thing is, is the more I, I, I learned to forgive myself, I witnessed the magnitude of what God did for me. Therefore, I had to do the same for my husband because I committed to loving him like Christ no matter what. So when you were talking about um, moving past the shame, I think that a lot of times that really holds us back, that um, we feel like you did. I'm not worth loving. Um, and yet you found a love that, that redefined your identity, that helped you make different choices. Tell us about that. Well, I definitely learned to experience the true love of God, first of all. I... I struggle to love myself because when you chase a life of perfection, you're more than likely 100% of the time going to be let down because it doesn't exist. And so when you have that mentality and you struggle with that, nothing ever feels like enough. And so it wasn't until I truly had everything kind of stripped from me that it was like, okay, God, like if I have nothing, you have to be more than enough for me. And the Bible says like that, that is it can be and it will be enough. And I, I'd never been put in that position to where having only God was going to be enough for me. So I would spend hours every single day just, I would literally sit in my closet, have quiet time with the Lord, and just like show yourself to me. Like, I, I cannot do this. Like, I need you to show yourself to me. And day by day, he would just chip away at the stones in my heart and just like, I, I felt alive again. I started to feel love in life and there was nothing physically in front of me to prove that I wasn't having a man telling me you're you're worth loving you're worth fighting for nobody was telling me that aside from you know my community friends family who were obviously speaking truth back into me but truly like the only way I got through that is like I'm loved by God I have to overcome this and hopefully someday somebody will see that in me and Lord willing I'd be given a second chance and find that love in person I think you were so wise to know that you're going to have to deal with this at some point. Yeah. 
if you I didn't, didn't do it then, yeah. it was going to happen sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see a lot of people who won't do the work right away really struggle later by bringing toxins into their future relationships. I myself know, even when I think I'm handling trauma well or handling adversity well, everybody around me knows better. And so I think it was really wise of you to be able to see that and be able to do the hard work. Today, Rihanna Nix is sharing her gut-wrenching story of rejection, betrayal, and abandonment. You can read her story in her book, Faithfully Fervent, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Goodreads, Walmart, and wherever good books are found. You can join her for conversation at Faithfully Fervent on Facebook. I can feel the pain, and I can understand her tears and frustration, can't you? I've felt them too. But perhaps the time has come for us to dry our tears and move on. That's what Rihanna did. Stay tuned to hear the surprise ending. point when you finally saw things clearly. You refused to live with a victim mentality and you chose to find and to share victory and hope. You realized that you were not alone. You reclaimed your identity. You found the courage and strength to stand on your own. And then you turned around to offer insight, wisdom, encouragement, help, and hope to others to find themselves who would find themselves where you were. So tell us about that process. What was the turnaround point for you? So Whenever I was going through that eight-month journey, I was journaling every single day, just the, God, the things that like, God would speak to me, the things God would reveal to me, scriptures that would uh, minister to my heart, just crazy encounters with other people that would come up in my life that couldn't be explained other than God. And I really fixated on the details. Like I was seeing God in even the smallest details. I had nothing else to do. <laughs> like I, I was so focused on getting through this that I, I looked at everything. And, um, it was through that, that the day that I was, I was forced to sign the divorce against, you know, my beliefs, my will, like I did everything I could, I had to still do it. And I remember just driving to, I was going to the attorney's office and I had to stop for gas in Dallas. And a, um, I guess I, I'm not sure if I wrote about this in the book or not. I think I did. It's towards the end, but I came to an encounter with a homeless man at a gas station And it was such a a simple encounter, but the way he looked at me when I bought him some food, I mean, it was like I could like see through his eyes to his soul. He was just so thankful. And it was like in that moment, I felt like God was affirming me and saying like, it doesn't matter what you've walked through or what you just lived. What matters is what you're going to do with it and how you're going to move forward with it. Just because I was literally going to an attorney's office to sign my marriage away, it was not going to defeat the fact that like I still have a ministry. God still allowed me to stay here, to not take that medication, to, to live for a reason to help people. And if I could overcome this, hopefully God can use me to speak to someone else. And so as I continued the drive over there, I just felt this insane, like weird feeling. And it was just like, I had this nudge from the Lord, like, you're going to write a book. And the title, Faithfully Fervent, Standing Firm as a Woman of God in a World Ready to Run, just came to me immediately. And it was just like, I never thought I'd write a book. I'm a nurse. Like, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought that. And I just journaled more therapeutic for me than anything. And so I was like, okay, this is happening. So, all right, God, like, whatever you're going to do with it, let's do it. 
I was able to ride it, I believe, within three months. It was just which I is ridiculously <laughs> fast. I, well, thankfully, I had some journals that kind of like helped inspire, you know, my journey, and I could pinpoint those details. But it was truly, I would feel like the leading of the Holy Spirit to be like, okay, sit down and write. Like the most random times a day, I would start writing, and God would start to bring people into my life who were walking through abandonment and divorce. I believe the first year after I had, you know, signed it away. I encountered seven people who were going through a somewhat similar situation, but if I didn't experience my abandonment, my fighting for marriage, divorce situation when I did, I wouldn't have been able to minister to those people. And just to know that like, I could be somebody who said, I understand, like I have lived your pain. I totally know where you're coming from. That's something I always longed for in that process. I wanted so desperately somebody to be like, I literally did exactly what you did. I was in your shoes. I was, I was made to feel this exact same way. I wanted that so bad. And just to know I could be that for somebody, it was so encouraging and empowering. And it, even in days, it would be kind of hard because I would still get you know sad here and there. Was like, man, okay, I'm starting my life kind of over. It was like little things here and there where God was like, nope, this is why I had you go through it. You're helping this person onto the next person. Like, don't go on your little pity trip you have purpose, like keep going. I think that's such a challenge too, because uh, when you're hurting, it's kind of all eyes on you, right? Like it's really hard to get past your own pain to see somebody else's. And yet I've found also in my faith journey, when I give out of my poverty, that's when God pours his riches into me. And so when I've been able to help somebody, when I think I have nothing left to offer, that's maybe when I'm most useful, because that's when he pours his strength into my weakness. That's when he pours his riches into my poverty. So I hear you saying that. And you have been able to reach a lot of people. I don't think there's anybody on the planet that hasn't suffered trauma. I don't think there's anybody on the planet who hasn't suffered abandonment or betrayal of some kind. Somebody they trusted hurt them, whether it was intentional or not. We've all felt that. And most of us don't know what to do with those feelings. And you found a way. So I am so grateful for your book. So it didn't stop with the, just the book. You also are... Um, you have a website, a Facebook page uh, called Faithfully Fervent, where you are reading sections of your book. You're inviting people to be in on the dialogue with you. How's that going for you? It's been good. I don't use it all the time, but there's moments, you know, where God just kind of puts it on my heart. So there may be little seasons here and there where I speak more into it than not. But I did a previous season or series back in February. I'm very passionate about talking about redemption and love during February because it happened to me on Valentine's Day, first of all. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but I, like, at first I was really angry at God for that. I was like, God, seriously? Like, you would allow this to happen on Valentine's Day? Like, couldn't be, like, two days after? But I love that he did because, truly, the whole message I get from it, now looking back, it took me a while to get to that part, but it was just, um, you know, Man's love is fleeting, but God's love never fails. God is going to be with you in the trenches, in the depths. And with that, like you're loved, you're chosen, no matter who says otherwise to you. And so February, I feel like it's kind of my favorite month of year because it is, it is, it can be a very sad time for some people. If you're single and you just see married people everywhere, relationships, like it heightens like, oh, I'm single. I'm not mm -hmm. worthy. I'm not chosen. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so passionate about fighting against those lies because I know what it's like to be have have been married and then that was kind of taken away and that was essentially an idol of an identity for me at the time and so 
just to be able to connect to people in different ways and be and encouraging, like, look, you're more than this. Like you have a story and it's, it's worth fighting for. So that's kind of a time of month where I feel really passionate about speaking life to hurting and singleness is that like you have to learn to love yourself and you have to learn that you and God has to be enough before you can ever love someone else or it's just going to cycle back that it's, it's never going to be enough. I heard a quote recently that said single is a unit. It's a whole unit and you have to be a whole person before you can hope to be part of something for somebody else. That if you have gaps and holes that when you go into a relationship, you're not going to find the satisfaction there um, because no person can do for you what Jesus can do for you. Nobody can fill those holes. Um, And so I love that you dug out of a pit into a place of wholeness that you that you took all the pieces that you felt had been shattered and scattered and offered those to the Lord and he put those back together into the beautiful wholeness that you now celebrate. So that is kind of the story of redemption. What else would you like to say about redemption? So redemption for me is I now am newly married. God has been so faithful and blessed me with that. I, you know, I doubted that one, I would ever want to be married again. I was terrified, to be honest. Even though I'd gone through healing, you know, there's still that trauma of like, well, when you think you're married, you think like, well, it's not going to ever, nothing's going to take it away. It's a covenant. It's a promise. I'm here for you always. And so I struggled a lot with just thinking those are just words. Like, you know, like anybody can say that. Like anybody can walk away. It's not permanent. And um, it, it was kind of a separate healing journey for me, walking through like dating again. And in the pursuit of marriage, because I didn't want to, you know, date to just date. Like if I was going to put myself out there again, it was to pursue marriage. And so I um, ended up, I guess I'll back up on how I met my now husband, because that's a redemption story in itself. When I was walking through my abandonment, I went to a marriage ministry at a church and um, I met this couple there. This was the very first time I ever shared the story about being abandoned. And there was probably about 20 couples in this room because it was kind of like a, oh, I want to better my marriage or, oh my gosh, I'm struggling. I need help in my marriage. I was the only person without a couple. And I felt, talk about shame. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm young. I'm by myself and everybody's here with their spouse but me. And we went around the circle and we had to tell our story. Oh, why are you here today? (sighs) And I was literally put on the spot. Like I had to talk. And I mean, the floodgates just opened. I was so shamed. I was crying. I told my story. I was like, I'm fighting for my marriage, but I feel stupid. Like, what am I doing? And this couple, Becky and Kelly, they came over to me um, because they've been like mentors to me. They went through the program to try to kind of also lead other people. And um, they were like, we're going to be here for you through this whole thing. And I gained so many awesome warriors. But they're very important because they ended up being the couple that brought me my now husband. They're in a community group with his parents. And one day they had opened up a restaurant on their own in Richardson. They had, you know, some family friends helping them out to get it started. And my husband, Ryan, just so happened to be a person that was helping. And I remember the first day I walked in and I was like, oh, he's handsome. <laughs> and I, so I asked Becky, I was like, who is that? And um, she told me his name's Ryan. I was like, well, is Ryan single? And she said, yes. And so, of course, I wasn't thinking big picture. I was like, oh, wait, that means I have to put myself out there again. That's, that's scary. I can't, I can't do that. So my friends ended up saying, like, you need to give him your number. You keep talking about him because I'd gone a couple times and he was there helping out still. 
And so they were like, we're not leaving till you give them your phone number. I was mortified. I was like, oh my gosh, I've never given anybody my phone number like that. And so I walk up to the counter on my receipt. I write it down and I didn't even say cute or anything. I was like, my friends won't let me leave till I give you my phone number. So here's my phone number. I'm sorry. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> like that is, that is literally how I gave it to him. And I was mortified. I'm pretty sure I was red in the face. I was like, I can never come back here again. Like, I'm not allowed in this restaurant ever again. Like, I, you know, and at least he ended up texting me within the hour. Wow. So that was off to a good start. And he asked me, he asked me to go to dinner and that scared me. So I was like, actually, let's just go get coffee and be casual. So he was a trooper early on because as you can imagine, being misprotective of myself, I drilled him with questions. Like, it, it it probably wasn't even a very fun day for him because I was like, you know, asking about his testimony and like we talked heavy stuff up front and I was like, okay, he still wants to see me. So that's good. So from then on, we kind of, you know, I was like, I just need to take things slow. So we pursued friendship. I could feel myself holding back. Like I really mm-hmm. liked him. I, mm-hmm. I, he was so handsome. Like I was like, he can't be this creative guy and that handsome. There's, there's a catch, but he, he was, he was a package. I remember there was one day where I felt the Lord being like, you've got to lay down your fear. You are Mm -hmm. never going to experience the love story I have for you if you don't lay down your fear. And so I remember, I believe it was November 16th. I was like, God, I am done with fear. Like, I'm going to lay down. I'm going to trust you. You pulled me through a horrific story once. If God forbid something happened to me again, I know you're going to get me through it. So I just have to trust you and I can't cling on to control. I did. And from that point, I kid you not, our relationship just escalated. It was just like these feelings, like I, I started falling in love with him. And then we went to a um, premarital class together before we were even engaged because I was like, look, let's talk about the hard things now. If we're not compatible, then let's just go our separate ways before emotions get too heavy and tied in and it's harder to break off something that's not healthy. And we talked about everything and then we ended up getting engaged and just a few months later, we got married on October 25th, and he's just been the greatest blessing I could have ever hoped for. He is literally Ephesians 3.20, that he will give you more than, exceedingly more than you could ever ask or imagine. And I just, every time I think of him, look at him, you know, I just thank God that, like, you brought me my redemption, and it's more than I could ever thank him for. I love stories with a happy ending. That is yeah. so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And God does redeem things. But first, we have to let go of the fear. And whether mm-hmm. that's starting a new job or taking the next step in a relationship or parenting a difficult child, uh, overcoming an illness, starting a new project, all of those things can cause fear in us. And when we lay that down, um, then we have space to pick up something so much better, a redemption story. And I just love yours so much. Well. As we close out our show today, is there one thought or uh, one idea that you'd like our listeners to see more clearly as a result of our conversation? I think the one thing that has been very true and strong in my heart is the scripture, Genesis fifty twenty: The enemy intended to harm you, but God intended it for good. What is now being done, the saving of many lives. That is a scripture that I feel like is just my testimony, not only mine, but I believe it is anybody's testimony to be had. Any hardship you have, any trial, tribulation, whatever journey you're walking through right now, one, you cannot give up. You don't get that choice. You're not going to give up. But two, you have to trust and believe that 
God is going to use it for good. may not look good, but if it's not good, he's not done yet. So keep fighting and trust that your redemption story is waiting on the other side. Thank you, Rihanna, so much for sharing your story today. Listeners, if you have enjoyed this conversation and you want to keep it going, you can contact Rihanna at Facebook at Faithfully Fervent. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Can you think of someone who would enjoy our show today? If so, please share it with them. You can help others find us too by liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Visit today's show notes for show highlights, links to recommended resources, including our own, nis.media. I'd love to hear what you have to say, so drop me a line at Kit McCarty NIS on Facebook or at kit at nis.media. And if you'd like to hear more from me, sign up for my periodic newsletter when you're on my site. Special thanks to the production team at Headset Radio and to my friend Becky Salazar for the bumper music. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. See you again soon. Mm-hmm.